Welcome to our Birth Stories podcast brought to you by Informed Pregnancy Birth and Beyond. IPBB is a small pregnancy, birth and parenting peer support community organisation based in South East Hampshire. We run groups each month which bring people together and give them the opportunity to talk to other people who've been through the same life stage as they're approaching. In our experience of facilitating groups, nothing has quite the impact of hearing stories of pregnancy, birth and parenting from people who have been there before. In a culture where many people's frame of reference for what birth is like comes from scary news stories and dramatic soap opera births, listening to real stories of undramatic everyday births can significantly increase your confidence for your own birth. So as with our groups, this podcast is our contribution to the gentle revolution of telling the everyday birth stories. These are stories of people like you, and they're told unedited. Sometimes we'll add information that may help you understand the particular circumstances or challenges for the family concerned but always we let them tell their own story and how it felt for them. Please be aware if you've previously had a traumatic birth experience, there may be topics covered which you could find triggering. We've done our best to note anything that will be covered to help you make the decision as to whether each episode is okay for you, but please always take care of yourself. Welcome to episode two of our Birth Stories podcast. In this episode, I'll be chatting to Sally about the birth of her first baby. This episode includes chat about infertility, PCOS, BMI and weight, the medication metformin, depression, antidepressants in pregnancy, hospital birth, TENS machine, continuous monitoring in labour, including the use of a fetal scalp electrode, discussion of episiotomy, perineal stitches, and continuing antidepressants while breastfeeding. We've included some information in the episode description about monitoring during labour, including fetal scalp monitoring. Do you want to start at the beginning? Tell us uh, about your pregnancy and birth with your first baby. Okay. My first baby, who is now 12, um, was a very wanted and waited for baby. Um, so unlike everybody else in my family, who seemed to fall pregnant at the drop of a hat, um, and I have several relatives, including my sisters, who had their children quite young. However, I went away to university and, you know, did all of those things. So family was always something that I wanted but I was adamant that I was going to get I was going to go to university I was going to have my career and and all of those things first um but given that everybody else in my family seemed to fall pregnant at the drop of a hat I never doubted for one moment that that wouldn't be the case for me so when we did finally decide to start our own family and things weren't happening I was quite surprised. Um, yeah, so we were fortunate in a way that after, um, I think around about a year of trying, we went to see the GP and they actually agreed to do some basic blood tests and things to see what was going on. Um, and it was discovered that I have polycystic ovary syndrome and that was given as the main 
as the reason why I was experiencing fertility issues. Um, so I was advised to lose weight. Ha ha ha. Um, that's the answer to everything if you ask the Of GP. course, that's the answer to everything. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, Not yeah. Um, and, you know, lots of things like that. There was lots of you need to help yourself before we're prepared to help you Gosh. kind of After mentality. A year and knowing that you had a specific fertility condition. Yeah, yeah. Um, so maybe unexpectedly, it was unexpectedly to me, this kind of led to a decline in my mental health. Okay. Um, so... I then became depressed. This was the year that I turned 30. And I think given that all my other family had had their babies, you know, they had their families by the time they were sort of 23. Um, you know, this was a big shock for me. I never expected to get to 30 and not have had at least started on my, my own family. Um, I didn't see it coming at all. It took a friend who I was working with to kind of take me to one side and say, I really don't think you're yourself. You know, do you think you ought to see the GP again? Um, anyway, I was diagnosed with depression. And um, funnily enough, medication was quite willingly offered at that point okay. so they were willing to treat me for depression to medicate me for depression but they weren't willing to treat or medicate or give that kind of support mm. for my fertility issues um however with a change of gp i then found somebody who was more sympathetic uh who, who was better able to empathize with me and helped me along the path of helping myself, helping me manage my depression and helping my fertility kind of all in a combined situation. But we had a kind of two-year period where um, I missed a lot of work. I was signed off for quite a lot of time. I was I was too ill to work um, and doing various things, you know, dieting hard to try and lose this weight that I was expected to lose and taking medication uh, you know antidepressants um, and things like that anyway so they finally agreed to give me some medication to help my fertility so I'm sure if other parents have been in this situation they might know that metformin which is a medication used for type 2 diabetes is also sometimes used for people with polycystic ovaries and particularly to help with fertility issues. So I was started on metformin. Um, I'd also managed to drop about three stone at this point. So I was a much healthier weight and BMI um, because that's so important. Yeah, yeah. well, you need to tick the boxes, don't to you? To some people, yes, um, quite. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that all happened in around July. Um, some people may or may not know that I am a Christian. Um, and what also happened at the end of July, beginning of August, was I went to a 
I went to Bible camp, basically. <laughs> I went to um, a week-long conference called New Wine, where you go and stay for the week. Um, and I actually volunteered uh, as a crew member on the children's team so that I could go um, and be there and receive as much prayer as I could squeeze in. Mm. Um, and at the same time, I just started on this, taking this metformin medication. And things were starting to feel a lot more positive. I was in a better place with my managing my depression. I was still on medication, but I was beginning to manage things a lot better. Um, and I was actually in a position to be able to return to my job as a teacher in the September, um, which I was really excited about. Mm. Um and then having gone back to school in the September, um, I am a September baby. Um, so we had we celebrated my birthday and for the first time in oh, I don't know, probably two years, I let my hair down and I had a few cocktails mm-hmm. and had a really good birthday. And then surprise, surprise, I was pregnant. <laughs> Um, yeah, so the following month, October, I found out I was pregnant. Really, really happy, so happy. Yeah. Um, and immediately felt like, oh, what am I going to do about my antidepressants? You know, this isn't good. What can it be doing to my baby? So I stopped taking my antidepressants. Um, yeah, big mistake really big mistake Mm. um had a fairly instant massive crash the withdrawal was horrific the withdrawal Mm. symptoms were horrendous and because I just stopped cold turkey yeah within days I was an absolute wreck and I can I can actually remember hiding in a friend in another friend's classroom at the start of the day just sobbing because I couldn't I needed to try and get myself together to go into my you know to be ready to to accept my children and I well, I just couldn't do it I ended up being taken home um yeah so that was hard that was that was really hard um so I was put back on my medication the same medication that I'd been on before the doctor reassured me that you know, as far as he could work out, all things should be well and that having a stable version of me was, you yeah. know, kind of should be everyone's top priority at that moment in time. Um, so that's what I did. I went back on the medication. Um, I managed a few more weeks, I think, at school. Um, but my head teacher really wasn't on the same page um I was being put under a lot of pressure I had a mix of children with different needs who it was you know my flakiness for want of a better word you know wasn't helping um you know it got to the point where the decision needed to be made and my doctor simply went I'm making it for you you're signed off indefinitely and I actually never went back to that job. Mm. Um, it was really sad. And it actually had a big 
in you know a big impact again on me on my mental health mm. um you know but I was able to continue you know that that pregnancy was a sticky one um and you know I was able to carry on at home signed I was signed off the complete pregnancy um yeah. and the GP you know continued to support me mm-hmm. there was lots of discussion about maybe whether to try and change my medication before baby arrived they weren't sure there wasn't a lot of evidence or resources around what impact it would have on baby once they had arrived and for breastfeeding and things like that but in the process of trying to get me stable to a stable place they kept me on that same medication um so you know I was on quite a medicalized pathway during that first pregnancy for those reasons Mm. understandably um and I think looking back you know given everything else this was a a much wanted and waited for baby I was my mental health wasn't at its best I was on medication you know it was our first child we only did the what was available antenatal education wise on the NHS um I can't I almost can't believe looking back that I didn't look elsewhere or try to find more information or want to read more etc etc but I think I just have to put that down to I didn't have the mental capacity yeah at that time um for it to even register that I should be doing those things that I should be looking for further you know yeah and to make yeah, you've had enough already yeah to be dealing with yeah yeah and you know my my husband as well he you know although he's a professional person he's autistic so he doesn't um you know the empathy side of his brain it's not what he's good at bless him and again it you know he he was his main concern was me yeah um so it just didn't occur to us to seek any further support or Mm. education on pregnancy and birth um that said I do feel like our birth was a positive experience um so uh our daughter we didn't know she was going to be a girl our daughter was born at 39 plus 6 um so on that day uh his alarm at the time he was working away um at quite a distance so he had to get up the crack of dawn to get sorted out his yeah. alarm went off at five thirty, and yeah. I got up to go to the bathroom and as I came back into the bedroom I kind of stopped and went oh I think I'm having a contraction <laughs> um and he just was like oh well get back into bed and you know it might be something and nothing I don't remember experiencing Braxton Hicks with my first pregnancy Mm. so it was quite a new and unique feeling Mm. um so I got back into bed and he sort of got up and started pottering about getting ready for his day and he came back into the bedroom about half an hour later to check on me and I was like I've had three more (laughs) okay and he's like oh all right then um, and I said to him, I don't think it's a very good idea for you to go to work this morning. Let's just 
can you stay at home and we'll just see what happens. So he made his phone calls and and so he could organise being at home and the contractions continued um, quite regularly, you know, reasonable distance apart to start off with. But as the morning progressed, it became clear that perhaps this really was the real thing. Mm-hmm. Um, he made a cooked breakfast and we sat in bed and ate a cooked breakfast. Oh, lovely. That was awesome. Yeah. Um, he didn't drive. Okay. <laughs> Uh, he only learned to drive just before the third child came along. So it was okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we had uh, his mum, my mother-in-law, who lived sort of twenty minutes away, lined up to get to take us to the hospital. Um, so we phoned her. She was at work, so we had to phone her at work and say, um, "I think we might need you." And once we'd spoken to the hospital, they were like, "Yes, okay." make your way in and we'll check you check you over um so and this was princess anne in southampton um so mother-in-law left work and arrived to pick us up and drove us over to princess anne and dropped us off um and it was late morning midday-ish i think by the time we got to the hospital um and they uh examined me uh, they gave me a vaginal examination and the midwife said, you're sort of three-ish centimetres. She said, but I can definitely see that there is, you know, a pattern to your Typically. contractions. Yeah. Um, given that you live a little bit further away from the hospital, right. um, we're quite happy for you to stay if you're happy to stay. So it was decided that I was going to stay. That was it. I pulled, whipped my birth plan out of my bag. Here's my birth plan. I want a water birth, please. Um, okay. And that midwife was, was yeah, that's that's fine. I don't see why not. She said, um, I'll take your birth plan and give it a quick read. And then I'll go and get the pool running for you whilst we do shift change. Um, so she's said I'm you know unfortunately I'm not going to be here but the, the next midwife will be in in, a, in about 10 minutes to introduce herself so off she popped and then as she said a little while later another midwife came in to introduce herself and so I said oh she, the, the previous midwife was just going to run the pool for me can we go through can we go through now to which I was met with a Oh no, sorry. Oh. Um yeah, she did mention that, but unfortunately your BMI is too high so you won't be allowed to pull there. Oh. oh. Um yeah, and again, you know, I think because of the space, the place that my husband and I were in, we just accepted it. Yeah. And obviously these days I definitely would not have rolled over and and uh yeah. But I guess I was told. you know what you know when when you know it. You know it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you made the right, you could only make the decisions on the day that the information you had. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, we were a little bit taken aback. Lily is the first midwife at Intimate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we just kind of accepted it and carried on. I had a TENS machine that I'd already started using. And that was fine. I felt comfortable. 
Um, I think they had a first ball in the room. So I was kind of on and off that a little bit and just kind of pottering about within the room, that the birthing room that we were in. Um, we'd taken a pack of cards in my birth bag. So we played cards and, you know, my husband is very good at acting the fool and keeping and uh, telling, you know, terrible jokes to keep me distracted <laughs> and amused. Hmm. Um, and we just carried on. And actually it was, I don't remember it being particularly difficult. You know, we got to a point where I wanted the gas and air. That was fine. They came and gave me the gas and air. Um, I was mostly lent. I like to be on my feet when I yeah. give birth. I now know I like to be on my feet when I give birth. That was a pattern that repeated. <laughs> um, so we pumped the bed up quite high and I would be walking around. And then as a contraction um, came on, I would lean against the, the bed and just kind of rock or sway and use the gas and air as I needed to. Um, and everything seemed to be progressing nicely. I can't actually remember at what point I, I don't really remember hitting transition or, um, I do recall at some point before we got to that stage, it was requested that I lay down on the bed to be examined. Okay. And again, I didn't know any better. I just did as I was asked. Mm. But once I was on the bed, you know, it was then decided other things. There were then lots of reasons why I couldn't get up again. So I did get to a point where I became kind of bound to this bed. Um, they decided that I should be continuously monitored. Or, sorry, baby should be continuously yes. monitored. Um, so they popped the, the, the straps on to hold the, the two monitors in place. Um, and again, at first that was fine. I then wanted to adopt a position where I was knelt up, leaning across the back of the bed. Yeah. Um, and that was okay for a while. Then the midwife started to complain that the monitors were losing contact and it, mm -hmm. the monitoring wasn't working. So then they asked if a student could be brought in. We had said on the birth plan that we didn't want any students in the room. We just wanted it to be us. Um, but at that point, they asked if they could bring a student in to help hold the monitors in place. Okay. So that seemed like a reasonable compromise. So at that point, I said, yes, that was fine. Mm -hmm. However, the student really didn't have any more success with holding the monitors in place in the position that I wanted to be in. Right. So again, I was asked to turn over and lie down on mm. my back, which I did. But from that, that point onwards, it was, you can't change position now. That's it. You need to stay on your back. Gosh. Um, at that stage, I was definitely, we were definitely into the second stage then. I'd okay. started, I'd started pushing. Mm. I'd started to be coached in pushing. Okay. Um, yeah. I'd started to be coached. Uh, there was lots of, you know, hold your legs up, put your chin on your chest, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Um, 
again, they lost the CTG was losing contact, okay. um, and the the health care professionals were getting quite distressed by that. So I was asked if they could just put a clip on baby's head so yeah. we can monitor baby that way. Mm-hmm. So again, at that stage in my life, I had no idea what that meant. I'd not been told about it beforehand, knew nothing about it. Mm. And given their explanation of, we're just going to put a clip on baby's head. Yes, calling it a clip. Yes. Then I agreed. We agreed. Yeah. And it was done. Um, of course, I now know what a fetal scalp monitor involves, and I would never willingly agree to that. Yeah. Yeah. Again. But anyway. You make the decision with the information yeah. you're given. Absolutely. Exactly. Um, so I think it took two or three attempts to get that to stay in place. Yeah. Um, but then they had there were been better. had there been actual concerns about baby's heart rate during the labour, or was it no, not more that of a I routine recall. situation? Yeah. I think it was more of a routine situation. Definitely, I certainly don't recall um, anyone discussing there being decelerations or anything yeah. like that. So it, I think it was just you know, the pathway that I was on and I should be continuously monitored and Mm. because of my insistence on moving around, you know, or not being able to keep still enough or, you know, whatever, um, yeah, then they wanted to use this, the the fetal scalp monitoring rather than the CTG. Okay. Um, Yeah, so that, it took them a couple of goes to get it to stay, but once it was on, they seemed happier. Yeah, uh, but then there was lots, lots more coached, lots more coached pushing. I can recall my husband <laughs> saying to me, "There was, there was lots of um, frustration over the fact that um, baby's head was appearing and then contracting back inside, right. and then appearing again and contracting back inside." Yeah. And of course, Quite again, <laughs> everything that I know now, I now know that that is normal and it's part of the process and the body does it for a reason. Um, however, in that moment with all these people around me, that's certainly not the impression I was being given yeah. and certainly was making my husband feel frustrated Concerned. that yeah. I couldn't just push this baby out. <laughs> you know, There must be something wrong if it was kind of yeah semi coming out and then disappearing back inside me again then there must be something wrong you know that that didn't seem normal um and I can remember at one point him saying so given everything I've just said about my work situation and the fact that it hadn't gone terribly well I can remember my husband saying to me just picture that b word at school (laughs) (laughs) push with all you've got (laughs) (laughs) um yeah so that was that was his him trying to incentivize yes um did it work at which point the midwife started to say oh I think I think you might need an episiotomy and again on my birth plan I'd put no episiotomy unless absolutely necessary and i I think you've lost all tra- track of time at this stage yeah. of, the, of the game, haven't you? And but she did seem to be kind of faffing around for quite a while, going, 
think I think it might be best if you had an episiotomy. And then when she actually went to go and get the episiotomy kit out of the drawer, there wasn't one there. <laughs> um, at which point she said, I'm just going to leave the room to get an episiotomy kit. I'll be right back. And there was a student midwife who stayed in the room with me and my husband. I'm not sure if there was another midwife there at that point or not. I don't think so. Um, anyway, so she left the room, came back in again with this kit. She really wasn't gone for very long, minutes. Um, walked back in and went, oops, too late. <laughs> and I'd torn. Um, um, however, I'd also produced a baby's head. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, so, you know, hey-ho. Well done, you. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, that was fine. Baby's head arrived, baby turned, and the rest of her came out, and she was lifted up and put onto my chest, and she was tiny. She was, she was £5.13. Goodness, really tiny. And, um, yeah, I'd, not, I'd had quite a sizeable bump, mm-hmm. but um, my waters went quite late on yeah i mean i for a long time i was laying there going well perhaps they've already gone and i just didn't notice or and and i remember (laughs) the student midwives saying to me i'm pretty sure you'd know if they had already gone and then at the point when they did go which was part way through the pushing stage i think i did soak somebody who had the misfortune to be at the foot of the (laughs) bed um yeah so there was quite a lot of water yeah uh amniotic fluid um yeah so baby arrived and she was put straight onto my chest um and we had our skin to skin i think we were given a couple of minutes before they asked to clamp and cut the cord okay um and again a couple of minutes was all we knew to ask for yeah yeah at that point so and she did get that couple of minutes and then my husband um cut the cord and and it was all sorted out um yeah and then i i wasn't allowed a physiological third stage uh you know and again as we've already established i was at that you know in that birth quite happy to go along with yeah the way I was being guided a reason at that point for that or just it was just that it just was that's the pathway I was on yeah Yeah. that's the pathway I was on so that's what was going to happen this was on labour ward at Princess Anne so it was that kind of it was a medical situation yeah I think I do consider myself lucky that I still gave birth with only midwives present I don't really? recall. I mean, yeah, yeah. I don't recall seeing a doctor other than in my antenatal yeah. preparation. Um, there were no doctors present at at the birth or afterwards. So from that point of view, I still had a midwifery led birth. Yeah, I'm. I'm. You know, well, I was really happy. Um, went into labour yourself. You gave yeah. birth without assistance. Fantastic. Yeah. Well done. Yeah, completely. Um, so I was yeah, really pleased with myself. Mm. I was really pleased with myself from that point of view. Good. Um, I do recall. I mean, we were left. We had our, you know, we had our golden hour. 
that was all fine. And then when they, I had a quite significant third degree tear that needed stitching. Um, And the midwife at that point did say, I think I'm going to go and get my shift leader to come and stitch you up because I would feel, I would feel better if she did it rather than me not, you know, feeling a bit wobbly about it kind of thing. So that was quite refreshing. Um, So said shift leader came in. I have to say, I found being stitched up far more painful than actually giving birth to the Mm -hmm. baby. Um, They gave me two lots of local anaesthetic, I think, which stung like anything. Um, And I, again, I needed to use far more gas and air in the process of being stitched up than I think I had used in the process of giving birth. I had, they had started to stitch me with her still on me, with baby still on me. Yeah. Um, but I had to ask them to stop and I gave baby to daddy. Yeah. And he, he had baby in one arm and um, I, I think he had to switch out at that point because he definitely needed two hands to hold this tiny yeah. little baby. Yeah. Anyone who knows my husband, he's like six foot three and built like a, yeah. Yeah. A brick shed. Um. Ellie so was all kind of uh, very clumsy and cack-handed holding this tiny little baby. So the poor student midwife <laughs> held my oh, hand whilst I was being stitched. Well, she got a good experience then. <laughs> yes, she did. <laughs> yeah. So I was very pleased. You know, even now, mm. even now looking back, I'm still very happy with that birth yeah. experience. You know, there were things that, had I known differently, I might have chosen to do different things at the time. But given the information I had at the time and the place that I was at at yeah. that time, I'm very happy with that mm. With that birth. We then had to stay in for three days. Both of us were fine and healthy, but it had been decided antenatally that given the medication I was on, right, baby in particular would need to be monitored okay. for any withdrawal symptoms, which I can remember questioning at the time mm-hmm. why she might experience withdrawal symptoms given that I would be breastfeeding her. So surely yeah. she would still be, yeah. But they were insistent that... Um, that we stay in for three days worth of monitoring so that's what we did mm-hmm. and and after that period we were discharged and allowed to go home mm. um, and I then Fantastic. had a different team of midwives looking after my postnatal support because living in Fairham if you birth in Southampton yeah it's a it's different different teams yeah just how things are set up yeah, um, but, you know, for a first birth and given that we really didn't know our asses from our elbows, it was really was a positive experience. Good, good. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for sharing it with everybody. I think um, there's loads of stuff in there that I'm sure people will um, have wanted to know about and, and be interested in. Um, yeah, especially... Uh, through your pregnancy and everything and and after um baby was born you had uh how did you find your mental health in the postnatal period did you 
it was it was tricky at first. I don't think my mental health actually declined mm. anymore. I didn't have, you know, there wasn't a sort of second wave of, of postnatal depression or anything like that. I continued to remain on that medication and to be treated for depression for another almost two years. Yeah. Um, there are 19 months between my girls. We made the conscious decision to not do anything about contraception given how long we'd waited for eating. Yeah. Um, so we were just going to see what happened. And I didn't have any periods in between them either. Right. <laughs> Did you breastfeed for all of that yeah. time as well? Yeah. So I'm... I breastfed Evie. Again, it wasn't a simple, straightforward journey. She was partly mixed fed for some of that time mm -hmm. as well, but we we did get back to just breast. And so she was fed up until she was about 13 months. And again, so it was two years after I'd originally been to New Wine to pray mm -hmm. for uh, a, a family of my own. We returned to New Wine to say thank you for our baby. Yeah. Um, and there were lots of jokes about um, what do you call a child that's conceived in a field in the middle of Shepton Mallet. <laughs> um, I think the Beckhams had just had a, another baby at the time. Uh, with of the course, their children are Location called, based Yes, names. with their location based names. So there was lots of giggling <laughs> of, uh, you know, what do you call a baby who was uh, conceived in a tent in a field in England. And it was whilst we were there that about halfway through the week I suddenly had this realization that I hadn't taken any medication since oh. we'd arrived okay. and this was on about day four and I'd had no side effects wow so that was it I just that I stopped I didn't go back at that point I was like I've managed four days mm -hmm. on knowing you know unwittingly without any yeah. side effects so I'm not going back so from that point on I was medication free. Thanks for listening to this episode of Our Birth Stories podcast. If you'd like to chat about anything that came up in the podcast, or you'd like to share your birth story in a future podcast episode, please get in contact with us either by email, informedpbb at gmail.com, or on social media where we're at Informed PBB on Instagram and Facebook. Everyone's welcome to come and join our Facebook support group and our monthly online meetups. And if you're local to us in South East Hampshire, to come along to our in-person meetups too. Please feel free to get in touch if you're struggling with negative emotions about what happened when you gave birth, and we'll be happy to put you in contact with people who can support you. In our groups, we also share and signpost lots of information about all sorts of pregnancy, birth and beyond topics. Check out our blog on the website informedpregnancybirthandbeyond.org for more of that. We hope you enjoyed hearing this birth story as much as we enjoyed recording it. If you did, please leave us a review and share the link with your friends. Thank you. Mm -hmm.